This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time for Buzz Off. And uh, I think lawyer Liz is in the middle. Oh, there she is. My goodness, she made it right in time. What's going on there, lawyer Liz? (laughs) You doing okay? All right. Well, we, we weren't sure. It looked like traffic was going to get her, but I guess she got traffic instead. Hey, and those, all those blue lights in the parking lot, do they mean anything? <laughs> no, of course not. Oh. <laughs> well, you're the lawyer, so you can handle all that kind of stuff. So, I'll turn the show over to you. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to yet another Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Liz Wharton, at Lawyer Liz on Twitter. And you found us on America's Web Radio, coming to you live each Wednesday from 2 to 3, and podcasts available for download on the website and other iTunes and such. And welcome, while I am a lawyer with the Atlanta law firm of Hall Booth Smith, I am not your attorney for purposes of the show. Instead, Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz is a weekly look at and discussion on drones, Internet of Things, driverless cars, and all the buzz around technology in between. So today, we're going to follow up on uh, with guest Todd Wall on some of the issues we were talking about on prior shows dealing with drones and really drones for good and how law enforcement and other emergency management services are beginning at the end of August. So August 29th, the new FAA's new rules go into effect that remove a significant portion of the current hurdles for emergency management, local law enforcement, and really government entities to be able to use drones, small drones, under 55 pounds, for various services. And Todd has been working with different agencies and different uh, local governments on training and really developing these programs, seeing how they can take this technology and incorporate it into their services. And then later in the show, we're going to be joined by one of my colleagues, a partner at Halbu Smith, who, in addition to a long legal career uh, assisting local governments, uh, he also serves as a peace officer and a council or one of the advisors for the National Sheriff's Association. And so we're going to chat with Brent Hyde and discuss with him some of the issues that need to be, you know, the policies that need to be addressed by the local law enforcement agencies as they contemplate incorporating the this technology into their suite of services. So with that in mind, and really in light of your hearing stories, at least as of the show from Louisiana and the horrible flooding that is, you know, historic flooding going on there, and one of the ways drones have been used is in South Carolina. 
the emergency management services when South Carolina was going through some historic flooding, they were able to use the drone aircraft for inspections and really finding where roads had been washed out, bridges, you know, infrastructure inspections. So really a timely topic. But welcome to the show, Todd. And Thank you. Uh, uh, actually, uh, Lionel Vogt is uh, one of my partners uh, helping out with the, the strategy of introducing drones into law enforcement. He couldn't be here in person, but I think he's called in. Is that right? Okay. Uh, yes, I am here. Hey, Lionel. How are well, you? Welcome. And thank you for joining us. I'm glad traffic didn't, or at least the telephones are cooperating where <laughs> traffic was not going to cooperate with me. But, uh, but welcome. So, Lionel and Todd, tell us a little bit about what y'all have been doing other than the Drone Racing Club, which, I mean, y'all kicked off some really fantastic uh, racing recently. So I, I recommend everyone go online, find it. But... Yeah, absolutely. On the serious side of things, what are y'all working on? So, um, so we've partnered with uh, what's called the Space Grant Consortium uh, originally, uh, which consists of Georgia Tech and NASA, uh, an initiative to introduce um, uh, drones uh, via STEM-based programs. Right. Uh, so we partnered with them to put on a. Um, uh, what we call a fast track boot camp uh, orientation to drones in general, right? And so, and the whole premise of that uh, boot camp was at the end to um, have a situation where they build, um, test, tune, and you know, fly, learn how to fly an ultra micro drone, but also apply it to a real world commercial application as well as have fun. We were going to have a drone race at the end, right? So, there you of course, go. Can't, can't, can't avoid doing the drone race to some degree. But uh, so, at the end point, at the end of six days, on the sixth day, that's a Saturday, started on Monday with just a bag of parts, and by uh, Saturday, they had to demonstrate their, their uh, skill and ability. And so we mocked up two different scenarios. One scenario was a routine traffic stop by uh, a police officer, and we had the coordination and cooperation of the public safety chief uh, that was in charge of West Georgia Tech's uh, uh, police force, you know, the school's police force, uh, and we called him chief. Uh, sorry, I don't know his name right off the top of my head, but he collaborated with us to supply us with uh, some insight and knowledge as well as, uh, you know, of course, the police car. Uh, so the routine traffic stop uh, mock-up of a police car pulling over an 18-wheeler. And so, uh, but the police officer has not checked in within that kind of golden time that they're supposed to do that, right? Uh, and so the assumption is uh, the police officer is either down or missing or has got a, a problem on his hands or her hands. And so the whole concept is to, for the two uh, pairs of uh, drone operator and a pilot, uh, you got a spotter and a pilot that work together as a team to uh, fly uh, from a safe distance uh, into what could be an inclement situation to assess uh, the situation, gather evidence for the SWAT team or approaching patrol cars before they arrive so they know what kind of force they're uh, up against, right? If there's a threat involved, uh, if there's emergency, uh, uh, you know, uh, assistance needed from EMT or fire department. And so they were to fly around and assess that situation, which is really cool. We set up, a, you know, a fake a mannequin uh, that mocked up the police officer down, uh, you know, set up some shell casings, a weapon, you know, a few 
few other little things that would be evidence that would help, uh, you know, assess the situation. Um, and they did really well. Um, well, and who was participating in this? How did y'all select participants? Okay, so the whole idea was this was going to be an alpha program, right? Just a test for what uh, was to hopefully become something bigger, better, uh, more widespread uh, as a test. So um, West Georgia Tech had gotten a grant from the uh, Space Grant Consortium, and they needed an outlet and didn't have a structured outlet in order to leverage that grant properly. So we facilitated that uh, that uh, that that comprehensive way of uh, in, uh, integrating the STEM component into drones uh, so they could fulfill the uh, administrative aspect of that grant. So were y'all, were y'all teaching, uh, did teams have to apply ahead of time? Were it local law? Right. I mean, was it you know, the sheriff's department? Right. Or it, who all? Actually, 60% of the attendees out of uh, 20 um, were actual students at West Georgia Tech that had applied, and young and old, anywhere from 18 years old up to 45 years old uh, as a student. Uh, we ended up uh, uh, drawing in some attention through uh, the consortium being involved from some other students uh, teachers uh, from high schools, STEM-based high schools in and around the area, as well as a college or two. So uh, so we had a, a professor and a couple of uh, teachers in there as well, both male and female, and uh, and they all did real well. They None of them had had, except for one, one had had uh, experience with some small drones before, but uh, uh, we put them through the paces. They had to literally solder, assemble, test, tune, and, and learn to fly. Uh, we had uh, simulators as well as you know, key hands on. Which is a a good reminder for folks that, I mean, y'all were dealing with not just the aircraft. I mean, yep. drones are so much more. They're the systems. The da- now, do they have software to write too. their own software no. to run them? So the whole idea was this was going to be kind of a beginner's introduction, uh, boot camp style, right? In other words, high level, what they need to know in order to execute on a basic mission, the basics, right? High level, uh, kind of the Cliff Notes version, right? Uh, if they wanted to learn more, and, and, and a good many of the students went home, young and old, and did more research. Uh, so we oriented them to, you know, the components, every piece of the component. The flight control, the receiver, the transmitter, the uh, um, uh, you know the camera, the uh, the motors, uh, speed controller concept, uh, as well as the software. So the software itself, we I mean it, we can go down rabbit trails with this kind of stuff like crazy, you know what I mean, and really go in depth. Uh, but Lionel Lionel actually uh, uh, was one of the main developers of that core workshop uh, series alongside with me, and he kept it uh, uh, you know critical information only. Only and not really going too technical with them, right? Well, and Lionel, perhaps uh, you can share with us a little bit of how did y'all design the mission? Did you have input from law enforcement of this is a scenario, these are kind of the situations? Uh, well, basically, you know, one of the key things is that, uh, you know, we do have some contacts with law enforcement, and they do have quite a number of questions as to uh, what they expect out of uh, what kind of performance that they need, but a lot of it is basically tailoring the uh, best amount of best kind of performance we can get out of the current technology. And uh, right now, like in the past five years, uh, the technology has just really blown up to a point to where we can actually get things very very small. And now that we have not only the racing uh, part of drones. We have all these other applications uh, within it, and 
once you get into things like being able to do stuff like close proximity, it is one thing where you can have like a drone in the air, and I know some uh, police departments now have very large drones that allow them to hover, hover over a situation, but they didn't have anything that they could use to engage with, let's say, inside of a parking garage or uh, any number of other scenarios where you'd be avoiding walls or yeah. cars well, or other things. Anything like below that. the tree line, below the roof line, really. Exactly. Well, and what size aircraft were y'all using for this simulation? It was a, it was a um, uh, something called a micro-quad using uh, brushed motors. And generally, they're about just a little bit larger than the size of the palm of your hand. And uh, on a single charge, you get about five minutes of uh, actual uh, flight time, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on uh, various situations. I'll say, what, uh, what, what weather conditions? I mean, because as you noted, there in real-world applications, you don't get to pick uh, at like a nice sunny day, no wind, uh, right. no other you know radio traffic nearby that's going to jam or somehow interfere. Uh, how did y'all address some of those conditions? Sure. Uh, well, basically, uh, the electronics can be sealed. There's a lot of um, uh, different uh, water-resistant uh, materials that are presently out there. The one that we're working on right now, which is the uh, prototype, uh, is very water-resistant. You can actually you, know, you could drop it into a pond and pull it back out and still fly without any problem. Now, did you did you test that aspect of it uh, intentionally, or was it? Oh dear, it's just landed uh, in the you know in the water, and well, look at that, it still works. <laughs> no, it's actually something very intentionally. Basically, there is a number of um, uh, hydrophobic uh, coatings that you can put on electronics that are presently out there right now that. Uh, uh, you pull it that right back out, and it is perfectly dry. There, there is, there's not a little bit, bit of water on it. If there is, it's beaded up, and it's not actually making any contact with the electronics. Well, All of these different. I was going to say, and uh, so with that, we're about to jump to our first commercial break, and we'll pick back up with how you tested, uh, truly tested the waterproof nature. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. 
This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Liz Wharton. And right before the break, we were chatting with Lionel and Todd about their uh, really beta test or alpha. They haven't quite made it to the beta testing yet. <laughs> but uh, really helping law enforcement uh, and emergency management services create those real-life situations where you can bring in an aircraft and uh, either intentionally, unintentionally, we're going to let them go with uh, that it, they really designed it to be waterproof, mm-hmm. but have uh, in developing and designing these small quad uh, aircraft and testing them with the program at West Georgia College, uh, I say y'all have really looked at the limits and the boundaries of yeah. what you're going to need the aircraft to do in a, you know, an emergency environment. Right. The whole the whole idea is uh, there's plenty of drone manufacturers out there for above the tree line and above the roof line. And uh, the unfortunate thing for law enforcement is uh, they get into size, weight, uh, velocity, and uh, some restrictions in that requirements uh, uh, as far as safety is concerned and uh, licensing. Right. Um, but if you can, uh, so we decided, hey, you know what, uh, we've got something that we can put together, design, build, that would be below the uh, 0.55 pounds for the uh, threshold for FAA, uh, be something that even if it did crash into something, it would basically do no harm to anybody. If anything, it would do harm to itself. Uh, so the weight and velocity, yet it still flies about 30 miles an hour if it needs to, right? So speed-wise, it's not too bad. Uh, and it flies about five or six minutes. Uh, the whole idea and concept would be to have one of these in an EMT fire department or a uh, an actual uh, uh, police department situation to where it's carried in a Pelican case, right, with a couple batteries, a controller, and a monitor. And uh, uh, and then when they need it, let's say they have a, a, a hostage situation that, um, you know, every time they turn you know, their head around the corner, they get pot-shotted at or something. Uh, one of the conversations I had with the chief of uh, uh, the public safety chief down at West Georgia Tech was, man, we're having to use mirrors or we're having to put our heads around the corner. I could take this thing and fly it around the corner and, and get a perspective that there's no way I could safely get any other way and do it below the tree line and below the roof line and at least assess the thing to know what I'm dealing with uh, so I'm better prepared. So we're wasting less time, less money, and less resources on the assessment and the uh, implementation of whatever force we need um, and could save lives quicker. You know what I mean? Well, and that's key is being able to assess the situation, especially as we were talking about before with Louisiana flooding where you or you can't get in, you don't have the person with visual uh, confirmation. So under the FAA's rules, it'll be part 107, you do have a little bit of flexibility with flying closer to objects and getting in there. And 
So how are y'all designing and modeling the program based on the rules? Sure. Um, so as far as the workshop series or the boot camp series is to, uh, you know, uh, again, get people interested uh, to further the uh, the educational aspect of STEM. But, you know, the side aspect of it, it, while we were developing this and the interest from law enforcement came about when we introduced it uh, to a couple of law enforcement officers and chiefs, right, the chief down at Westwood. Attack, and uh, he originally thought, "Oh, they're just dealing with toys." He's, and then we did the scenario. I got him involved in trying to mock up the scenario, and he's like, "You know what? You know, I was thinking that was a toy, but honestly, you know, the video on that, and the range on that, and the capability on that uh, is it could be an extension of an officer or an EMT or a fire department easily with low expense, you know, and low threshold as far as safety concern is, um, and uh, and that's where it kind of kind of went on from there and so uh what we're trying to do is make something that's affordable uh that travels well takes a beating and keeps on working kind of thing well and it one of the things you always worry about is the costs and being able to scale it right uh so what were some of the takeaways that y'all saw during your training exercise on getting you it were there pieces of the aircraft or, okay, this isn't going to work or... Yeah. Uh, we So this was not the original design that the students built. Uh, this is a variation that came after the fact, right? Uh, when we got involved with the... Uh, I've actually got the uh, the one that is for uh, the students that I'll show you in one second. Uh, the, uh, and this is one of those instances where if you're following along on the web stream on America's webradio.com you're getting the best of both the audio as well as the visual because Todd's having some fun showing everyone and I, I feel like a disclaimer is necessary the airframes he is holding up uh, was it a discount on orange and blue right. 3D printing materials? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that might be the right. Uh, it basically was whatever uh, 3D uh, filament I had in the uh, machine at the same time. <laughs> so, well, say, uh, as a Virginia Tech Hokie, I recommend <laughs> burgundy and right. orange. But exactly, uh, one of the things we had talked about is what color scheme. I mean. Yeah. As much as I joke about that, mm-hmm. that makes a difference where you it want does. the aircraft to be visible so sure. that you can maintain the line of sight, but also not too visible. Right. So let me let me kind of just run down a few things real quick. So while we were uh, while the students were test flying the aircraft, we just were doing it out in the back parking lot of West Georgia Tech, and as people were coming in the schools because it's so small, right? Uh, uh, some people spotted it. Some people didn't spot it. And we're talking within, uh, you know, 30 feet, 40 feet. Uh, those that did spot it, uh, there was some shock value there. They were, like, trying to figure out what is this thing, you know. And do I need to be worried about it or do I need to be happy about it, you know. Uh, and so one of the conversations I had with the police chief down there was uh, he said, man, there there's, could be a psychological component to this that could buy us some necessary time, especially in its newness. He says, so there's a little bit of shock value. In other words, if they do, uh, in other words, it could potentially derail that threat off his game and totally 
change his assessment of the scenario, right? So if one flies near him, let's say he even swatted it out of the air, uh, well, at that point, if he can swat it, you know, uh, he certainly can't shoot it because it's so small. (laughs) Well, and and as we discussed on one of the uh, first episodes of Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, uh, it's shooting at a drone aircraft of this size, you're not going to no hit way. it. Yeah. And even if you do, the likelihood you have hit the sweet spot yeah, no that way. takes it down. Because when we're talking about these micros that, uh, and I'll post pictures online, uh, giving you a really good sense of, if that's in the palm of my hand, really the value in it are the cameras. Exactly. Uh, the camera and the audio. So let's do the scenario. Let's say they did get it out of the air. Let's say we got close enough to the situation that they could actually reach out and grab and, and throw it down. Uh, now uh, the scenario is we've got a camera and audio inside the red zone. You know what I mean? The uh, the inclement situation and we, zone. And we don't mean, I was going to say, we don't mean the football, the football. Uh, <laughs> in the red zone. I mean, yeah, it's... Right. It, Getting close to the situation at hand. Now, when y'all were designing the test program, how did you uh, identify what needed to go into the red zone for your Simulation. Sure. So, uh, so there actually was two parts to uh, the challenge. Like I said, the police officers stop, uh, but the and so what we did was that was pretty much hey assessing an outdoor situation, and it was kind of windy. I will tell you. Uh, uh, luckily, it didn't rain that day, uh, so they had the challenge of the wind and being a small drone uh, as far as weight is concerned. Uh, so it's easy to get carried away, but they did a phenomenal job, even though only having a couple days worth of practice. Um, but you know, setting up things. That would be good information for an approaching officer or a SWAT team. Which is, is there a threat? Right? What's the weather condition? Uh, well, what what police car is this? You know, what's the number on the police car? So we can properly identify who the occupant was or, or is. Uh, can you identify the police officer? Is he down? Is there somebody else on the scene? Uh, are there any weapons? Is there any shell casings? Is there any potential uh, uh, threats that we that aren't easy to see from a distance? Right. Well. And with the cameras, they're stationary, so it's not as on the bigger aircraft where you can actually get that mobility and move it around. And how hard was it to be able to gather that information and know how to position the aircraft? I will say the outdoor, uh, actually, I thought it was going to be opposite, honestly, because, like I said, two challenges. One, that they had to actually fly inside the 18-wheeler, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, for freight analysis and a threat analysis. The other one was the outdoor assessment of the police car, right? Uh, But because of the wind, it was a little more challenging for them. And just like you said, if they wanted to look at the back of the police car, they had to fly around to the back and then position the camera to uh, figure out the license plate or the number on the squad car, right? You know? Well, and uh, before we're going to jump into the next uh, commercial break and really start talking with Brent Hyde, on the law enforcement sure. kind of policy side, how how did y'all address really setting up the environment of where there was interference? And because yeah. you, that's going to be one of the other components. You're going to have the weather conditions, Absolutely. but also these are communicating through 
radios and yep. sensors. What were some of the things you looked at with that? So this is using standard open uh, 5.8 gigahertz band uh, for video transmission and 2.4 gigahertz as far as control. Uh, and so there are some inherent issues with that, uh, absolutely. Now, uh, uh, police and military certainly have certain closed bands they can leverage and take advantage of that are licensed for them, right, uh, which actually allow them more throughput, less possibility of uh, interference. Uh, our, our intent and thought is that uh, uh, if this does become a full-on product that uh, law enforcement or police or EMT or, or firefighters, that we will do a license band, a closed band uh, for the video uh, and telemetry and control. Uh, so it's more secure, so somebody can't hijack it. Um, I was saying, and just also from the yeah. data management side, sure. I mean, you're collecting a lot of information. Yep through that, and that's key is protecting it. Yeah, right. So um, uh, we ran a DVR uh, the whole time, recorded all the information in case we had some sort of uh, you know, uh, contrasting or conflicting <laughs> uh, points-based type of challenge uh, for each team. So we had that kept. Lionel did a good job of that. Thanks, Lionel. Uh, yeah. Well, and I was going to say, uh, we're going to, Lana, we will get right back on some of the security issues because that's going to be a good segue too to bring Brent on. But uh, you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, coming to you from uh, AmericasWebRadio.com. Each Wednesday, find podcasts of the show available online. And we're chatting today with uh, Todd and Lionel on really law enforcement drones for good. 
And we're about to be joined momentarily by one of the partners at the law firm that I work in who deals with and handles and represents uh, government, local uh, law enforcement agencies, in addition to being a uh, certified police officer or a safety officer himself. But right before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the conditions and how do you address, because with the drones that we're talking about and the exercises here, it's below the tree line. So it's not that, you know, thousand foot 500 foot even in some cases not even the 50 foot view it is the up close tiny palm sized close proximity uh, exactly uh, aircraft and so before we uh Alana, before we let you go today tell us a little bit about what y'all were dealing with with respect to these aircraft well uh one of the things that we did with the aircraft uh was of course with the uh tractor trailers and actually uh, doing an inspection on the inside of a tractor trailer. And uh, as you know, these things are gigantic aluminum boxes, which so if we were going to have any sort of real failure mode where they're concerned, uh, the radio frequencies and or issues with video and that sort of thing, that was going to be the condition that it was going to uh, really show itself. And while we saw some issues with it, it took little to uh, reposition uh, uh, an antenna to be able to look down into the uh, tra- tractor trailer or to move it in such a way that we could uh, do a full inspection and see everything. One of the key things, though, about this is that beyond just the simple flight time of the unit is the basic design is to be able to get the unit into position and land, um, which is basically a lot of practice. Uh, all other factors concerning wind, rain, whatever, uh, can be addressed with, uh, um, you know, proper flight training and lots of practice. Uh, I've flown quads in uh, 40, 50 mile hour winds before. This would have a little bit of a uh, lower limit due to the fact of the size, and its top speed right at the moment is about 30 miles an hour, which is more than enough to keep up with somebody who is, uh, let's say, trying to run from the scene. But well, let's say, and it sounds like it, it's really designed to work in tandem or kind of add to the existing uh, aviation flight operation so their existing helicopters and other i say aerial support that exactly. it's a, yeah it's, it's meant to get into the places that they cannot it is able to be able to put a camera and audio on scene in places that uh, would normally put a uh, human being in that same spot to try and it's a uh, flying bug uh, See? yeah it is a flying it is a flying bug and no the nice thing intended. about this is that even with the current battery technology, while we have just a a five-minute flight time, in that five minutes, if I can land that, I can have up to two hours worth of live video and audio. That's data, right? Evidence, maybe. Exactly. Well, and that's a good uh, transition, too, to some of the topics of what to do with all that data and how to deal with all that training. So, Lionel, thank you for joining us today. And, uh, sharing a little bit about what y'all have been working on. Much appreciated, and it's been a pleasure chatting. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, and uh, well, we hope to be able to uh, show you here in the near future uh, some more of the uh, beta prototype testing here. Excellent. Looking forward to it. So thank right, you again. And Todd, as we're preparing and getting ready for really the launch of this in the law enforcement context, where do you see programs like yours going 
Well, uh, so West Georgia Tech is absolutely zeroing in on that. So is Georgia Tech, I will say. You know, uh, in preparation, there's going to have to be a concerted effort to produce curriculum, right? Uh, if not uh, some of these uh, uh, workshop-style uh, orientations, especially since the Part 107 has been released, there's going to be more acceptance of use of drones, and education is the key, I think, right, uh, in preparing. Exactly. Well, in that, the education and the training is such a good, uh, again, transition that we're going to welcome uh, joining us on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz is Brent Hyde, and Brent, I have been trying to, and I can't do justice to your long law enforcement and legal and government liability practice, but uh, welcome to the show and perhaps share with us a little bit about what what you're working on these days in this context. Sure. Thanks, Liz. I, I uh want to thank you certainly for having me on the show. Um, I've been a peace officer since 1991 and was a deputy sheriff numerous years before I went to law school, and I'm still a reserve officer with a local South Georgia sheriff's office. And I was going to say, and I will point out that even though uh, we are both with Hall Booth Smith, uh, you have not uh, helped any of uh, your fellow attorneys with the firm out getting out of speeding tickets or anything. Uh, Darn it. Much you know to, anyway. Exactly. Much to my dismay. Uh, I love that. So. Uh, what I've been working on is, uh, one, just a general interest in drones and their application, uh, especially on the local law enforcement level. Uh, we have uh, at least one South Georgia Sheriff's Office who's always had a, who's already had a success story with using a drone uh, there was an elderly man who uh, was able to uh, leave a uh, sort of an assisted living home, and they were able to use a a drone with a what's called a FLIR system or forward-looking infrared system to find this gentleman at night and uh, and find him. And uh, so, from that story and some other interests locally, I've been asked to sort of start looking at this issue and the use of drones and whether or not and how they may benefit the the local sheriffs and local law enforcement. Well, and it's such a complicated issue in the sense of in what we were talking with Todd and Lionel before the break is that it's not just the aircraft. I mean, it's not just the immediate physical flying aspect of it that local law enforcement agencies and emergency services have to really dig into their policies and go into their computer systems and their training and making sure that they're ready for the additional, the data, so to speak. Well, it's an additional tool, I mean, you know, and so with any additional tool, whether it be a, uh, you know, a pair of handcuffs to a weapon, you got to learn how to properly use it, and this just so happens to be a data source as well. So I agree with you. I mean, training and education uh, is going to have to be part of the, the process, without a doubt. Well, and, and, and also, Liz, I was going to mm-hmm. say that, you know, especially in Georgia and, and as well as other jurisdictions, you also have to be concerned about Open Records Act and Open yeah. Records Request. If you're going to be maintaining that data, you know what? What you know? How are you 
going to keep it? How are you going to maintain it where someone requested that you should be able to produce it to the public or if it can be produced to the public? Well, on the federal side, the White House has, uh, within the past year or so, released different uh, policies for the federal law enforcement. But, of course, the state and local, that's not going to be coming from D.C. That's going to be coming from, in the case of Georgia, from the Gold Dome and each of the counties. Have you seen any of the groups that you're working with really look at that aspect yet or address their policies well, one thing every agency who's contacted me, and, and by the way, I, I'm i part of Georgia Sheriff's Association General Council, and I serve as the rep for Region 8, which includes about 16 South Georgia counties. But um, I've had numerous sheriffs contact me, one, one about possibly purchasing drones, and then two, you know, how does it fit in with their organization and policy implementation and that sort of thing. So we're in sort of the infancy, I guess, if you would, uh, say along those lines. Well, and it's about to get a little more exciting, though, with the Part 107 rules. I mean, come August 29th, they're no longer going to have to get FAA permission to incorporate them. And so, really, you're seeing this kind of everyone's been antsy at the starting gate, and it's going to open. Are you finding more calls coming into your office in light of that, or is it still pretty a steady pace? Everyone's taking a measured approach. Probably the the, the latter. People taking a measured approach. I think one thing uh, with sheriff's offices, um, you know, their concern is before they put into place a drone system or, or drone operation, they also want to try to educate the public. I uh, think you you know you've seen all these stories around the country where people aren't exactly certain on what the drones will be used for and that sort of thing, whether they're armed or unarmed or using less than lethal devices and and that sort of thing. So I I think it's part of public education is going to go a long way, too. Well, and that was one of the things, Todd, y'all mentioned. I don't know if, Brent, you were able to catch some of the earlier discussion, but Todd's been working with West Georgia College, uh, NASA, Georgia Tech, and developing... a training and a simulation program, but one of the things you mentioned was how do you get everyone comfortable with this is a micro drone, like this is not a, you know, someone's not spying on you, this is, we're here to help aspect. And that's, I I agree with you there as far as educating the public, right? You know, uh, it's it's a tool, you know, Uh, not unlike, uh, you know, a traffic uh, camera in that respect, you know, to a certain degree. Um, not unlike a satellite uh, camera. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if a police officer can uh, dispatch a palm-sized uh, mobile camera, you know, via drone out of the back of his uh, police car instead of use a mirror around the corner in a, uh, a potential hazardous situation to get a better assessment of what the threat is uh, or to gather intelligence or, or information so they can either call in the SWAT team or not call in the SWAT team. Uh, it's a saving of uh, time, money, and resources if it's properly 
uh, you know, used, right? Um, so, and being small that uh, and not so large, um, you know, the the speed, velocity, uh, and the weight and all uh, is is lower, uh, and so and it also is less than the 0.55 pounds that are requ- you know required for uh, certification or or uh, or uh, Part 107. Uh, registration. Um, well, and, and Brent, that brings up a good question with the counties you're working mm-hmm. with: is how adept are they within their existing frameworks to handle new technologies? I mean, do they have? Uh, do they bring them in themselves, or do they work with outside contractors? And we're about to jump into the break so when we get back share with us a little bit about where kind of the state of affairs where they are now and how easy that transition is going to be you're listening to buzz off with lawyer liz on america's web radio the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. So welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Liz Wharton. And we're talking today with Brent Hyde, one of the partners from Hall Booth Smith, as well as Todd Wall on some of the issues surrounding drones for good and bringing them into the law enforcement and rescue emergency management services. And Brent is both a, has training and a background in law enforcement directly as well as in a, serving as counsel representing sheriffs and other agencies. And Brent, we were talking a little bit about with the FAA's Part 107 rules going into effect August 29th, kind of, we're about to hit the races and really add this tool to the arsenal that local law enforcement has. And 
it's not as easy as just okay. Let's go out and purchase a microbe, you know, handheld, you know, hand-sized drone aircraft, or it's adjusting the policies, the risk management. How are you seeing some of the agencies that you work with incorporate and make those changes, or look at that uh, in their day-to-day practices? From what I've seen to date, most agencies certainly have budgetary concerns, and to the extent that a company could come in and provide sort of a package, in other words, the component parts, including the drone and then uh, the setup, and then the training for operating a drone, uh, then I think that would go a long ways uh, for sheriff's agencies and other law enforcement agencies in, in buying into that, in other words, rather than hiring probably a, a, you know, any full-time person to come on and go to the proper classes and that sort of thing. Um, I think that... Uh, well, exactly. You don't want to spend more money getting you know, a program in place that the entire purpose of, or part of the purpose of the program is to save resources for the law enforcement agencies. <laughs> so it... Yeah. Uh, you don't want to defeat the purpose of spending more money than in time, <laughs> right? And from a liability standpoint, of course, once they bought into some type of package, whether it be the component parts and the training and that sort of thing, then they would need to tie in um, that with their already existing policies to be sure that they were covering. I mean, if I were advising them or giving them advice, I'd certainly want a, a really good policy in place to, to sort of spell out um, who would be responsible for what what acts and and uh, be well, sure that whoever's running that drone has the proper training, et cetera. Well, exactly. There's the training, there's the maintenance policies, but also the use purposes and uh, balancing just as with the license plate scanners and the uh, law enforcement databases, you have to have policies in place of, no, it's not okay to look up your former roommate from college, you know, that's not a proper use of these resources, that with the drones and the aerial data that's being gathered, both the visual as well as just the other kind of data points that's being collected, how do you see that or getting that aspect addressed, would it be rolled into existing policies, or yeah, would it be treated like uh, like a body cam or a dash cam? I mean, I, I've talked to a couple of uh, companies that are doing that that are interested in an extension with the, this ultra micro to tie it into the uh, the recording and the upload system that they've got. How I mean, would it fall under that type of thing if it's an ultra micro as opposed to one that goes above uh, the tree line or below the tree line? Just curious. Yeah, I, I mean, it'd be my recommendation that you have a a policy that ties in with any other technology like body cams and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the, one of the main interests I'm seeing, and I'm I'm real active in researching, and I've got some articles that I plan to publish on active shooter. Uh, me and another uh, local sheriff uh, have been talking a lot about it, dealing with it. But 
you know, the idea of being able to put a drone in a school and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, look look down a hallway to see if, if you can find a suspect oh, absolutely. versus sending your men or and women and personnel in there and putting them in harm's way. Well, you need to talk oh. to me then. I'll say, and one of the things, too, that uh, came up during the earlier part of the conversation was also on inspections, you know, being able right. to do the agriculture Inspections of the trailers, whether they have the products or you know drug uh, enforcement on. And so it's not, but it's also not just the internal, uh, the data management policies, but also the liability and the risk uh, coverage. It's yeah, insurance and stuff like that. And yeah. getting to that. So, what are some of the ways you're framing that? I mean, not every. Uh, law enforcement agency is going to have aviation coverage. I mean, one thing you have to do is to reach out to your local broker and even find out what policies are available. And hopefully um, there may be some companies that are obviously going to start writing this type of coverage, we we at least hope. I was going to say, and you are. You're seeing uh, AIG and some of the other, there's both creating new coverage, but also looking at the, if you don't have an aviation rider, you need to do that. And make sure that you have, you're complying with those aspects of it. But it's also the cyber risk. I mean, do a lot of the agencies already have cyber risk or the cyber breach coverage? Right. What you're saying is what would happen if someone else would have access to the drone or those type components? Is that or, what you're, or the data. So it's it's both the being able to hack in or uh, piggyback on the live feed of the data that's as it's being collected, but also as the data is being stored. So suddenly you have agencies either through directly or through their vendors and third parties that they're contracting with, you're having information on what other cellular uh, devices may have been in the vicinity. You're able to, if there were open Wi-Fi access points, and really lock down the information that you have gathered before it gets deleted or if it's being stored for future. Under the federal policies, you have to delete within, uh, depending on whether it's an active investigation, it's 35, 45, or excuse me, 30, 45, 60 days, 90 days, you have to delete whatever's not being used. So as those policies start to trickle down to the, the local levels, making sure that they have that kind of coverage as well. I completely agree. Yeah. Excellent. A, I like that. It has quick. to be a collaboration with your IT folks, yeah. you know, the, the people who are putting together the drone package and, and what services and, you know, it's going to deliver, and then and then your command staff has to uh, come to sort of a meeting of the right. minds and, and be sure that everything is covered in that policy. Well, or and, and or insurance, and I can and I can talk to the technology aspect. I mean, that's my background is technology. In addition to the drone stuff, you know, IT support, security management, that type of thing. The thing is, is data doesn't care where it comes from, right? You know what I mean? Uh, so the repository is not going to change, and the structure of where the repository is is not going to change. So whatever policy and protection you've got in place should work. 
um, with the with a few exceptions. The exception is the input aspect, right? The entry point. Um, and so, if this is del uh, delivering live telemetry somewhere. Uh, that is one stage of the entry point, right? Does it live long at the controller, you know, command and control level, and then gets uploaded and stored, kind of like the body cam, I guess, in the dash cam situations? Um, well, and, and when you're talking about some of these smaller agencies, right. they don't necessarily... Who don't have the infrastructure, right. And, that, well, they're not already using the technology, uh, the body cam or the license plate scanners, and so... It, this is an inexpensive entry point, but they're going to have to look at what their existing architecture is. Yeah, because the responsibilities, yeah. It, well, and the liability and whether they want to take on that. I mean, because if there's a if there is a breach, how are you going to? And right, you had mentioned before a little bit about the open records request. How do I? Can I find that information out now? What's been collected? on me tied to you know my name and how does that change under you know, this kind of technology that's a very good question uh, <laughs> you know obviously if there's a pending investigation going on you know that type of material will be protected until the investigation has has come to a close but um, you know where it will fall otherwise um is, you know, first of all, you got to answer what type of medium it's being saved under, and two, for what purposes, um, you know, does it represent under the Open Records Act? So, and not every because not everything is going to be so. I mean, it's it, not every piece of information is necessarily going to be filed, categorized, and easily accessible when it's being collected like this now. How are you? How quickly or how frequently do agencies have? I mean, if they get an, a FOIA or Freedom of Information Act or an Open Records Act request, how quickly do they have to respond? Yeah, under the Georgia Open Records Act, uh, they have three days to respond, and that does not necessarily have to be a written request. It can be in verbal form. So. So yeah, so there's there's a lot uh, of information they're going to have to plow through, and uh, of course, engaging discussion, and would love to continue. And so, Brent, hopefully, you will be willing to come back on a future show. And Todd, thank you for yeah, joining us again, absolutely. and thank you for joining us. And thanks, but, Brent. Good information. Uh, and certainly, but you have been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on. America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, on Twitter. But find out more information about the past episodes of the show online, as well as find out more about Brent's practice and my practice at HullBoothSmith.com. Join us next week, and until then, take care. This is AmericasWebRadio.com. The best in chat radio designed just for you.